0: Hello and welcome to episode 20 of the Ask Mr. DNS podcast. I'm Cricket Lou, here as usual with my co-host Matt Larson. Hi there. And uh we're finally back again. <laughs> How long has it yeah. been?
1: Uh I, I think it was the end of uh, no, the end of Oh no, I think it was the end of October. Do you, Let's do you, see. I can ask the internet.
0: Do you think yeah. uh most of our most of our uh, uh, de- devoted listeners have given us up for dead. <laughs> I hope
1: not uh, it's october twenty ninth was the last one so twenty this I think is now the longest interlude so we're we're doing some sort of uh you know increasingly increasingly long interval between each one which it, means it'll
0: it's an exponential back off
1: yeah <laughs>
0: <laughs> well we are back anyway and 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 uh, we're uh, gratified to have a, a little backlog—not a huge backlog, but a little backlog of questions, right? Yes, we had to actually decide
1: which ones we were going to answer, which is a wonderful luxury.
0: Yeah, indeed, indeed. So, uh, should we just go ahead and and uh, jump into it?
1: Let's dive in because we have a uh, a rather uh, ambitious list of questions we'd like to cover.
0: We do indeed. So, um, I'll take I'll take this first one. Um, this one is from—I I think it's probably Dana. Um, we have a Dana working for us at uh, Infoblox. Uh, the question says uh, My name is Dana. I'm listening to your podcast from Erbil, Kurdistan, in the north of Iraq, so Iraqi Kurdistan. Uh, I'm thinking of implementing an open DNS like system by creating multiple views, a view for each customer. And of course, all customers have access to a web based interface where they can add or remove domains. I'd like to hear from you about this approach, and do you think there is a better way to do this? Uh, And he says, uh, P.S., I've read in more than one place not to play a traffic cop using DNS, but I'd still like to test this. And then um, he says, P.S., number two, ISC is trying to implement something like this and uh, and then cites a link to um, one of the ISC blogs about uh, taking back DNS. Thanks for your nice podcast and have a good day. This is certainly uh, one of the one of the farthest flung listeners we've had, isn't it?
1: I think so. I think the only way to beat this would be like somebody from Antarctica or something.
0: Yeah. Well, the Australians we do get we do get questions from Australia. Well, that's true. Yeah. So, what do you think?
1: Well, I have to say, when I first heard what OpenDNS was doing, since uh, since Dana compares what he wants to do to what OpenDNS does. You know, when I first heard that, I was a little bit dubious. But having since um, heard from people who use OpenDNS and looked at it myself, and, and of course you and I both know David Yulevich, the the founder, I I think they're really on to something. Um, I think this idea that you could use DNS to stop your users from going to, you know, uh, one category of sites is you know known bad sites. So mm-hmm. like if there are sites that are known to host malware, uh, you know, you don't resolve those names to to help your users. Uh, it, it it's a little bit more of a gray area when you have another category of sites, when you, you stop your users from going to sites that are, say, you know, don't fit your policy. Let's say they're, you know, pornographic or gambling or file sharing or, you know, what, whatever particular category. Um, but, you know, the fact remains, DNS is one place to do that sort of, uh, what should we call it, uh, navigation, redirection or control and uh you know it, it it's working for them i you know, just this is just one data point and anecdotal but uh i have uh a friend of mine back in my hometown in northern illinois who's uh he's basically the i t guy for a couple of machine tool shops with a couple hundred users and uh you know he pays open d n s uh i don't know it's a couple grand a year or whatever it is it's not a huge amount of money, mm-hmm. but he found that that service is so valuable that uh you know he actually broke down and and he's he's paying them and and you know, that's that's kind of a big deal
0: yeah I think that my initial reaction when I when I heard about what uh, they were trying to do was well since they can only uh, say yay or nay at the granularity of a domain name wouldn't they be uh, wouldn't there be sort of a lot of collateral damage if you said well you know some URL behind this one domain name hosts something objectionable you, you just have to cut off the whole domain name right mm-hmm. uh, um, but you know, I think that increasingly, uh, you know, domain names are basically dedicated these days to particular sites. Even, even if those sites are, are hosted ultimately on the same uh, physical web server, they may well have unique domain names. It's not like the old days of, like, I'm going to be dating myself here, GeoCities or <laughs> something like that, right, where you had all of these different homepages parked on the same, uh, same web server with the same, the same domain name. Um, so you, you can I think in most cases get at things at sort of the right granularity um, by by doing it on the basis of uh, of domain name so I, I guess that we're we're assuming that what uh, Donna wants to do is to create this open DNS like system and he, he's um, I guess uh, proposing to use multiple views to do it because multiple views gives him the ability to apply kind of a different security policy to each each user i I, I think right to say. Um, that this user coming sending me queries from this IP address, uh, you know, gets to see these sites, but not these sites, and this other user coming from a different IP address uh, is maybe prevented from going to a different list of sites. Is that sort of your your impression as well?
1: Yeah. Do you think he's using view in the bind specific way to mean a bind view, or do you think he's using view in a more generic way?
0: I, I think he's he's likely doing he's he's likely talking specifically about views in bind. Um, because he he does cite you know uh, sort of the ISC reference later on. There aren't any other uh, name servers that really support anything like views that I'm aware of, are there?
1: I suppose you're right. No, and if you were going to do this without that, you'd have to write something custom. So exactly yeah. like
0: OpenDNS did. Yeah. So so what do you think about that? I'm I'm a little worried that you know burning one view per uh, customer is, is going to be. Uh, a lot of overhead on that recursive name server.
1: I would think because it's got, you know, without without knowing how the code works, but knowing that it was designed, I think, with the idea that you'd have just, you know, just a few views. Um, at, you know, at the very least, it's got to do what's probably a linear search through some data structure every time a, a query comes in to figure out which view it corresponds to. So if you've got hundreds or thousands of views, it could take a long time for each query to figure out which view it applies to.
0: And, and moreover, the, the memory utilization, because each view has a separate cache as well as separate authoritative data. Although, you know, in this case, maybe authority isn't that big a deal. But, you know, you're talking about a lot of parallel caches and as a consequence, a lot of of uh, memory utilization from your your name d process
1: yeah but on the other hand i mean i suppose if if his number of customers is relatively small like let's say i don't know i'm just gonna you know totally make this up but let's say he had you know low uh, single digit hundreds of customers and um you set the cash relatively small for each one i mean I, i don't know i could see this working up to a point
0: yeah i i think you're right um you know and, and you might also be able to to establish something like sort of categories of customers maybe you know, right
1: that, or maybe you have customers that are sort of the default non-filtered view mm-hmm. and only when they opt in they get a view and so that that might be that you know if most of your customers aren't doing this then they get the default view
0: yeah something like that might work but i think that uh, i do think that that cutting down the overall number of views is is going to be important because of the, uh, the overhead of, of using a view for, for each of these.
1: Yep. All Go. right. Well, I think that's probably all we can say on that one.
0: Yeah. I'm never having, never having actually implemented it ourselves. Right.
1: <laughs> yeah. I, well, but I, I think I would summarize, uh, as in, uh, you know, if, if the number of customers is small enough, I think it's worth a try.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And I know that, um, you know, they, they're, they're working on a facility, uh, within Bind, which I think is the reference that uh, Dan- Dana made, they're working um, on a facility within Bind that would allow you to do this kind of stuff um, more easily in the Bind name server. And so I think he's he's already clued into that, but I'd look at that carefully as well. That would certainly be easier than, um, you know, I mean, I, th- I think typically when people when people want to prevent resolution of certain domain names in Bind today, they have to do it by creating like an empty, uh, an empty zone or something. There's right, really- It's pretty clumsy. It's, it's very, very clumsy. Um, we recently uh, created a, a facility like this um, in Infoblox's version of the bind name server. And it took you know, substantial engineering to do this sort of domain name based blacklist. Uh, and so he'd have to do something similar unless he were able to use what uh, ISC was already developing in, in that area.
1: And that's probably coming in Bind 10, wouldn't you think?
0: Yeah, actually, you know, it might even be sooner than that. I think it might be like a, a 9, you know, it could be a nine eight nine nine 9.9 thing. Um, I think, you know, Paul Vixie got behind it and, and, uh, and decided to implement it. Because as of right now, I don't think ISC is encouraging anybody to run Bind 10 in, in anything like production. I haven't even looked at it. I, I have to say I'm woefully behind, too, and I'm going to have to going to have to step up
1: <laughs> yeah all right so our next question comes from uh, down under it's from uh, alex wilkinson who's writing to us from uh, uh, an official looking address in defense.gov.au so presumably he's in the uh, australian government's what are they, they have a department
0: of defense ministry of defense probably ministry of defense and we know that it's authentic because he spells defense with a c
1: that's right definitely all right. So uh, he he has a you know starts out uh, tells us that he's uh, uh glad to discover the podcast and is uh he's listened to the first 10 episodes. So of course he wrote this in November, so by now he's either finished it or given up. Yeah.
0: Yeah. He's now pissed off that it's so slow to respond.
1: <laughs> All right. So Alex's question here is um he says inside many corporations there is uh, active directory mm-hmm. and active directory relies enormously on DNS. Can you guys please explain or explore the significance of DNS and Active Directory? For example, there are a number of strange SRV resource records as such. And he goes on to list, you know, if, if domain.com.au were your Active Directory domain, he's pointing out that there are SRV records for things like underscore mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. LDAP dot underscore TCP dot domain.com.au and underscore mm-hmm. Kerberos dot underscore UDP and, and so on. And there are... Several of these, and he says, Are these resource records proprietary? Can Bind serve these up? Do I need Microsoft DNS? What about dynamic DNS in an Active Directory environment? Do we need it? So, uh, you know, he says that he doesn't really have any specific questions, but he just thought that this was an interesting topic for us to explore on the podcast and uh, is giving us the opening.
0: Okay. Well, that's fantastic. It's actually, a, a, I think, a really good topic because, um, you know, as Alex says, um, Active Directory is almost pervasive in in big corporations and widely used in, in smaller corporations, too. I, I probably couldn't come up with a single uh, Fortune 500 customer of ours who doesn't use Active Directory. Even Apple. I think I was going through the list the other day. Uh, and, you know, even Apple, they, they don't have a whole lot in the way of Microsoft DNS servers, but I believe they have Active Directory in their labs. Um. So I guess the first question that he asks, uh, or sort of implicitly, is uh, f- for us to explain the, the significance of those records. Um, so it's worth pointing out what the function of an SRV record is in the first place, which is to map uh, a description of a service, uh, which is embedded in the domain name, to uh, basically a location out on the network where you can find um, an instance of that service, as well as some information that gives you guidelines on on um, sort of if there are, if there are more than one instances of uh, the service, you know, should you connect to them in a particular order? Should you give you know one of them priority or over another, and so on?
1: So, yeah, could I, oh, could I just mention um, this? Like, if people understand the MX record for for mail, you know that that's sort of a uh, well, it's obviously a predecessor to the SRV record, but you can think of the SRV record as like the MX record, except working for any service that you can imagine. Yeah, exactly. I
0: mean, I- exactly. MX is like a protocol-specific SRV record. It's only useful, really, for SMTP, whereas uh, SRV records could be used with almost any service. A- and are. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So so the way um, that SRV records traditionally embed... Um, an identifier for a service in the domain name is that you have uh, the first label is underscore and then the name of some uh, some service, like actually a service that used to be listed in the old Etsy services file on a, a Unix system. And then after the next dot, the second label is underscore and then some transport protocol, which is usually UDP or TCP. Um, and then after that, the rest of the domain name is, is just some identifier, um, You know, sometimes it's uh, uh, the domain name of a zone. Uh, You know, if you're you're talking about something like underscore LDAP dot underscore TCP dot domain dot com dot au, then what's really embedded there is, um, you know, you're looking for the LDAP service running over the TCP transport protocol uh, for, in this case, the Active Directory domain called domain dot com dot au.
1: Right. And that sort of bends people's minds when they first uh, learn about the SRV records, because if we go back to MX, you know, the MX record, uh, you know, let's say you want to send mail to domain.com.au. Well, the MX records are at the domain name, domain.com.au. Right. But SRV has these extra labels on the front of the domain name. So the domain name that you, you know, let's say that a user enters or that you care about, is different than the domain name that actually you look up to find the SRV records, because as you mentioned, there are these uh, usually two labels uh, at the beginning of the domain name for the, the particular protocol and the particular transport.
0: Yeah, uh, you know, if, if DNS had been, I think, sufficiently flexible, we might've tried to specify those additional um, labels as just additional parameters in the query, but of course we don't have any extra parameters that we can pass along. We can't say, you know, uh, I'm interested in the domain name foo.bar.au, and I'm interested in you know this service and this transport protocol. So we have to kind of tack them into the domain name in order to in order to to specify them. Yeah, it's fantastically ugly, if you ask me. It is kind of ugly. I I have to agree with you, but on the other hand, it works. Um, and I guess um, the the rest of the SRV record um, has. Uh, a bunch of fields. I think there are five five R data fields in an SRV record, right? There's priority, let me think, priority, weight, port, target. So that's four more, I guess. Um, the, the most important of those uh, is really target, which is the domain name of a particular, um, generally a server out there on the network that actually offers the service. So in the case of this LDAP, you know, underscore LDAP dot underscore TCP dot domain dot com dot au, um, the target field would hold the domain name of some domain controller for the domain.com.au Active Directory domain that uh, was supporting LDAP as as an interface, and uh, the port would tell you the port on which that domain controller was listening for for connections to the uh, to the LDAP service, and then priority and weight. Priority works um, more or less like the preference field in an MX record. It tells you Uh, If there are multiple LDAP servers and they have different priorities, you're supposed to connect to the one that has the lowest priority value first. That's the most preferred LDAP server, if you will. And then if uh, two or more LDAP servers have the same priority uh, and you're supposed to connect to them in proportion to their weight values. So, for example, if two of them have um, a a priority of 100, and one has a weight of 50, and the other has a weight of 50, well, then half of the time you're supposed to go to one, half the time you're supposed to go to another. So it's sort of a primitive form of, of load distribution or load balancing.
1: Mm-hmm. And, and I guess we haven't actually said yet what Windows uses these uh, SRV records for, and, and it's basically how uh, Windows clients find the various services on their Active Directory domain controller.
0: That's right. That's right. And and the domain controller, when it starts up, it will register all of these things. It'll say, okay, I'm a domain controller for the AD domain, domain.com.au. And so I'm going to add this whole passel of SRV records that advertise to clients in this AD domain what services uh, I have to offer.
1: And that's usually done if you have an all Microsoft environment uh, that's done with uh, dynamic update, yep. but it's a... Uh, it's standard dynamic update, but it, the authentication for it takes advantage of uh, Kerberos and uses a Microsoft extension called GSS TSIG. That's right. Uh, a
0: Microsoft extension to the sort of plain vanilla TSIG and what, RFC 2845 or something like that. Huh. Um, so uh, I, that, that answer is part of Alex's question, I think, um, uh, which is do I, you know, do I need Microsoft DNS and uh, can – well, actually it doesn't maybe answer that question. But um, you know bind name servers have, have supported SRV records since back in like bind 4.9.5, I think. Um, so we can certainly serve these out from bind name server and we can accept dynamic updates from domain controllers of these SRV records. That's all perfectly okay. Um it's a very good idea to have uh, you know to have the ability to up- update these dynamically from domain controllers because otherwise, well I think strictly speaking it's supported, you've got to sort of manually grab this file off the domain controller <laughs> that contains the the textual description of the records to be added, and then you have to you know transmit it over to the uh, name server and you know add it manually it's It's just you know an, an untenable way of supporting it.
1: Right, you know at least you get it. You don't have to figure it out yourself. I mean the the domain controller literally as you say writes a file with these resource records in it that you can copy over to your name server and, and plop in there, but it's uh yeah, it's it, it's not it's not the best way to do things. It's it's much better if you can have the domain controller update dynamically. Unfortunately, uh the GSS-Tsig protocol and how Microsoft uses it is sufficiently documented that people can write dynamic update servers that interoperate with uh, Microsoft dynamic update clients and, and infoblox has done that right
0: yeah we did a, a GSS T sig implementation um, gosh I guess it was a couple of years ago it was uh, I have to say sort of rough going the the specification as you as you say is is I would say barely sufficient to actually implement it. <laughs> it requires a lot of uh, a lot of trial and error, a lot of looking at packet traces and things like that to get it to get it right. And I remember hearing the the very same thing from uh, from Kevin Dunlap, who who I believe was one of the first guys to do a gss sig implementation for for bind. Um, so, so we certainly can handle those, and and you know, generic bind name servers can can handle dynamic updates of SRV records as well, and can serve Active Directory uh, environments um, with, without any Microsoft DNS servers. We have lots and lots of customers, infolux customers, who use our bind-based appliances to support their Active Directory environments, and they have no Microsoft DNS servers at all. Um, uh, that 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 certainly works, and and. The newest versions of Bind have some GSS T-SIG support too, uh, I, I believe. I remember getting some questions from some folks who were trying to trying to set it up. Uh, do you, did you have any experience with it?
1: None. I, I just have seen in the release notes that it's there, but I've never had any occasion to use it.
0: Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, and of course, you know, like like I think we we both have said and agree, it is important to to allow dynamic updates. If you're doing things like, you know, promoting a, a a server to a domain controller with DC promo, or you're demoting a a server, then that process will automatically take care of the dynamic updates necessary to add or remove SRV records. Um, but it, you know, if if all you're doing is is generating this file. Then you're going to have to take care of that all yourself. It's it's not something that I'd, uh, I, I'd I'd wish upon most administrators.
1: Yeah, and and I guess as long as we're on the topic of uh, dynamic DNS in an Active Directory environment, we should probably mention that um, domain controllers are not the only entity that does dynamic updates. Um, all of the Windows clients themselves do as well.
0: That's right. That's right. They want to register uh, at the very least their name to address and address to name mappings uh, if they're if they're statically assigned IP addresses
1: and i guess if they're if they're dynamically assigned don't doesn't the client still do the name to ip in other words the address record but the dhcp server does the the ptr record the ip to name is that correct
0: yeah that's the default behavior but it can be modified by settings on the dhcp server there's some signaling that happens between the dhcp server and the dhcp client that allows the the client to say, hey, I want to do my own update of, for example, my address record, but the, um, the the DHCP server can also overrule it and say, no, no, I'm going to do both the address and the pointer record for you.
1: Okay. All right. Well, I, I think that's, uh, that's maybe more than Alex wanted to hear on that topic.
0: <laughs> we almost always deliver more than people ask for.
1: That's right. Is,
0: is that a bug or a feature? <laughs> Well, I think it depends on who you're asking.
1: Yeah, all right. So uh, there's also a part two to his question, and, and this really will give us room to go off the deep end on uh, uh, you know, talking about various things. Uh, so he writes, uh, what are your tools of the trade that you use for debugging and working with DNS? And he, he gives a whole list of, uh, of, of, of possible tools. Uh, are there any secret ones, um, any general guidelines with respect to debugging DNS problems?
0: Ooh, That's pretty open-ended. Um, well, he mentions he mentions several of them: dig, host, nslookup, DNS walk, and dnscmd.exe. CMD.exe. Um, I mean, certainly among those, uh, I I think the one I use the most is dig. I, I would say you're probably the same, right?
1: Yeah, definitely. I know people who use host. Um, I I just am not one of them. And yeah. You you really I think you have to avoid nslookup. I think you're better off. Um, using dig, and if you're on, uh, you know, a Unix or a Linux, uh, any kind of system like that, you know, your dig's going to be almost certainly installed. Uh, and if you're on a Windows system, you know, there are multiple places to get a Windows port of dig. So, you know, there's there's no need to use the nslookup that comes built in with, uh, uh, you know, with, with Windows. You can definitely find a version of dig.
0: We should probably explain what some of our objections to NS lookup are as well. Um, for example, that you know, when NS lookup starts up, it tries to reverse map the IP address of the, um, que- the the name server that it's querying, just so that it can print a little banner up at the top. And if that fails, it can cause spurious errors 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 that uh, error messages that might lead you to believe that something has gone wrong with the resolution, when in fact nothing has. Um, that's that's certainly one issue. It tends to sort of try to insulate you too much, I think, from the, the details of what's going on.
1: Yeah, exactly. That was going to be my next comment, which is, you know, DIG shows you actual resource records in the response. So if you're used to uh, that format, and most people who do any work with DNS are, you know, then then it's a very natural thing to be reading, I guess, in as much as... <laughs> uh DNS master file format could be natural. Right. Uh, whereas NS Lookup, uh, it, it gives you this sort of uh, trying-to-be-friendly format, uh, but it really just, in my opinion, kind of obscures things. And another example, you know, so a DNS message has uh, five different sections, you know, header, question, answer, uh, authority, and additional. And in DIG, it very clearly shows which records are in which section, but in NS lookup it, it doesn't it just prints all the records so you would have to know uh, oh those are name server records so those are probably in the authority section but you know dig just or excuse me NS lookup just 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 splashes them all out and you have to know what's what
0: right right I mean I'd see that I'd say that the most common tools I use are dig and Wireshark um, because if a dig isn't giving me the detail that I need then I pretty much have to go to Wireshark to, to, to actually decode the, the individual packets.
1: Yep, Wireshark being the former uh Ethereal was yes. the name of the program yeah. beforehand. Yeah.
0: And available for lots of platforms for free. It's really a uh a, I think a boon to the internet community, Wireshark.
1: Oh, absolutely. And it it'll decode anything. Yeah. Anything. It'll it you know, every, every protocol known to humankind is 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 encoded in Wireshark, it would seem.
0: Yeah. And those are, I mean, DIG, host, and NSLOOKUP are all, I think, functionally sort of equivalent uh, query tools, although, you know, DIG has some pretty neat capabilities like being able to, you know, chase a, a, a DNSSEC signature chain and things like that. Whereas DNS walk, I think, is different in that it, it, it it's sort of this big analyzer that goes through it, you know, looks at a particular zone and can check all kinds of, you know, all kinds of uh, integrity issues about the zone, whether for every forward mapping entry, there's a symmetric reverse mapping entry and whether name servers are authoritative for the zones that have been delegated to them and things like that. So it's maybe kind of a meta uh, tool for, for that, 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 in fact, you know, uses, um, you know. Uses individual queries, but uses lots and lots of them to determine the the relative goodness or uh, of a configuration.
1: Mm-hmm. And there are many many websites that offer services like this as well, where yeah. you type in a domain name and the the server interrogates the the zone in question and gives you a report.
0: Yeah, I mean uh, th- that I think is probably I mean those those types of web based services are probably a lot easier to use than DNS Walk. I mean DNS Walk is a Perl script and at this point quite old. Um, you know, it, it's certainly useful, but it's also easy to go to one of these websites. Like, um, you know, DNS stuff used to do this. Mm-hmm. Um, we have at Infoblox, we have a service that does this, which is our DNS Advisor service at www.dnsadvisor.com. Um, almost all of these things are free. You, you just type in the domain name of a zone you want to analyze, and then you know we'll go run off and and send a bunch of queries to your name servers, analyze the re- results, and and print a whole bunch of uh, a whole bunch of messages. Uh, that, that show you what we what we determined about your zone and the configuration of your name servers.
1: Yeah, so as long as we're talking about meta tools and as long as you mentioned DNSSEC, um, let me put in a plug for uh, the Verisign Labs uh, DNS Debugger, which oh, I, yeah. think is, yeah, I, I think is I think it's going to gonna get yeah I think it's going to get renamed DNSSEC Analyzer, but for now it's still uh, the debugger. So it's uh, DNSSEC Debugger dot and
0: i heard that duane impl- uh, is the 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 brains behind that is that right
1: he absolutely is Dwayne wessels uh, who works for verisign hooray uh you know duane went off and and just did a great great job on this and and it's designed to diagnose DNSSEC problems in particular and you type in any domain name and it starts at the sign root and tries to build a, uh, a chain of trust from the root all the way down to the particular domain name you type in. So you know you could type you know isoc.org or you could type www.isoc.org and it would actually try to build a chain of trust all the way to say the you know I think it tries the address record uh, if you type well actually I don't know how that I don't know what I don't know what it does but so you you get uh, I think very uh, readable output that you can expand. To, there's like three different levels of uh, verbosity and if you get Uh, an error of some kind it's like it's a stoplight kind of code it's either green yellow or red and if you hover over uh, a yellow or a red you get a little explanatory uh, uh, pop-up that that says a little bit more about what that particular error means
0: Mm -hmm. yeah it's it's very handy i i've used it uh, more than once Um, and i know you guys also refer to uh, the dns viz tool which is is also quite good and does similar sorts of things although maybe in a more, uh, graphical way, I guess.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Uh, it, it, uh, well, you'd have to just go look at, it. I, I don't know the, the link to DNS fizz off the top of my head, but I know that, um, on the debugger, the DNS sec. So I will say it again, dnssec debuggerverisignlabscom at the bottom of the page, after you test a domain, uh, we have a link to DNS fizz and then DNS fizz has a link back to us. So you can see, uh, what a domain name looks like in both tools.
0: Yeah, yeah. DNSViz is is just DNSViz, which is dnsviz.net. That's um, Casey's tool, yes. right? Yes. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's really you know it's, it it produces a really nice sort of diagram of the uh relationships between, you know, keys and and uh signatures and, and things like that. I I I I re- I really like it too. So, you know, you can use the two of them together. Uh, the VeriSign tool that Duane developed and Casey's tool and, and kind of go back and forth and look at look at the results.
1: Yeah, K- Casey came to uh, uh, an OARC, a DNS OARC meeting, mm-hmm. uh, OARC being the uh, DNS Operations Analysis and uh, Research Center. And uh, there was a meeting over the summer, I guess it was, and, and he came and talked about uh, DNS-Viz. And uh, we all convinced him that the arrows in his diagrams we're going the wrong direction from all of our perspective. So, uh, so I believe he's actually reversed the, the arrows now. Oh. Okay. And yeah. And so it was just, he was very, very gracious about it. But um, I think I was the one who said, you know, is there a reason that the arrows go the direction that they are? And, and everybody in the room agreed that we all thought the arrows should go the other way. So he, uh, <laughs> so he, he flipped the sense of the arrows and it, it, it just, all of our, uh, you know, hundreds of thousands of listeners will have to go to dns Viz to see the output to know what we're talking about but yeah. uh the arrows make more sense to me now
0: okay well so have we uh have we answered that i think we have all right we've uh i, I get have, do we do we credit that as as is, is that two questions we've answered or is it actually three questions i think it has now?
1: to count as three all right very good well i think that's an honest days podcast in terms of answering questions yeah, indeed. Now, you got a whole, uh, a, you got a little present in the mail relatively recently, right?
0: I did. I helped out a little bit with um, the Public Interest Registry's uh, Practice Safe DNS campaign. So I, I have a whole box of these uh, nice black t shirts that say DNS y things or DNS Sec y things on them. Uh, and I'd love to, to send some of these out. So maybe what we can do is to encourage folks to send questions to us. If you, if you send us a question and your question is answered uh, on air on one of our uh, next podcasts, we'll, uh, we'll send you a, a T-shirt. How's that?
1: Uh, that? That sounds good. It's, right. uh, you know, it, it, it's fashionably black, and as we all know, black is the new black.
0: Yes, it is. <laughs> it's the old black, too.
1: So, all right, so, uh, you know, no need to send your, uh, send your address. Well, I suppose you can send your postal address if you want in your question, uh, anticipating that we, will, that we will put it on the air, as it were. But uh, we, we guarantee we will we will get in contact with you and get your address, uh, and, and we will get you that T-shirt if we use your question.
0: Right, right. We'll see if we end up having to, you know, send a, a T-shirt to Erbil Kurdistan or <laughs> something like that. That might be a little tricky. Yeah, it'd be a good problem to have, though yeah absolutely
1: um, so the other thing we should mention is uh since I did mention dNS oarc uh, a, a moment ago that that's uh, an organization primarily uh dedicated to dNS operations so it's a community where people who do dNS operational stuff can can get together and uh, it, you, people may know the dNS operations mailing list that uh, that oarc runs uh the website is dNS dash dot OARC, net. And the reason I bring all this up is that there is uh, uh, an OARC meeting that will be uh, free to the public and it's gonna be in San Francisco in March. Uh we're taking advantage of being co located with the uh the ICANN meeting that's coming up. So it's actually March thirteen and fourteen, uh in San francisco I do not I d I don't I don't know if I know the exact venue yet. Oh I do know the exact venue as I click through on the OARC website. It's the uh the Western St. Francis on Union Square. Oh, my cousin used to work there. That's a pretty decent hotel, isn't it? Yeah, I think so. Is that the one where they wash
0: the change? <laughs> no, I don't. I don't know. I I could ask Amy.
1: Do you know that story? No. There, there's some San Francisco hotel, and it's near Union Square, where they have a a, a change washing machine. The and they've done this for ages, and it goes back to when women used to wear white gloves, and the hotel wanted to give them coins that weren't all soiled and would 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 muss up their gloves. So mm. I guess to this day, if you go get change at the Weston, you get you know shiny new looking coins. If it's in fact the Weston.
0: I'm trying to think of the last time I saw a woman wearing a white gloves.
1: Yeah. Let's see. Oh, I can keep the the internet. Is there anything the internet doesn't know? <laughs> less I just, and less. <laughs> I just Googled for coin washing Weston, and indeed, here's an article. Uh, oh, from really recently about how they're still at the Western St. Francis, they're still washing coins. So there you wow. go. Wow! Well, I I uh, that that might be the only Bay Area fact that that I know that you didn't. So oh, I doubt it. <laughs>
0: <laughs> but right. no, I certainly didn't know that.
1: Well, I think we should wrap this thing up. Um, you know, as as usual, we are uh, we're always thankful for your questions. Uh, please keep sending them. Uh, the email address is uh, mrdns at askmrdns.com. So that would be mrdns at ask-mrdns.com. And, uh, you know, please please send us questions so we don't have to beg. It's really, it's really kind of demeaning
0: to have to beg. It is. Plus, you'll get a T-shirt. <laughs> That's right, if we answer your, your question on air.
1: All right, so uh, thanks for listening, and we'll uh, see you next time. Bye-bye.
0: Bye-bye.